Hello, this is Lucille from Horse for Horror, and you are about to listen to the seventh episode of the podcast where we talk about The Exorcist 3 with special guest Luke of Mecca and Monster Mondays. This episode contains talk about nihilism, murder, racism, bigotry, exorcisms, Christianity, and stuff like that in similar vein. So if this isn't really what you're feeling today, maybe skip this one out. But for those who stick around, I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Horse for Horror, a podcast where some friends get together and talk about what they're watching in the world of horror. I'm Lucille, and uh, Tabs and Will are once again out, um, so I brought in a special guest. Hello, and my name is Philip Jones. No, my name is actually Luke. Uh, I'm a I'm a, a film and video editor. I've edited a lot of things, but uh, in relation to podcasts, I uh, do the podcast Mecca and Monster Mondays, where we talk about kaiju and mech films of all types. Yeah, well, welcome welcome to the show, Luke. Happy to have you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, Luke and I have been. Uh pretty good friends for about a for about a few years now and i remember we we wanted to do a podcast together and i think we just didn't like yeah i was gonna ago. say like we had an idea for something and then it was just kind of like i think i think it was like yeah. we were both just too busy with life to really like get it started up yeah but yeah now we're uh we both each have our own podcasts and yeah um before i before i start the episode uh just with everything being weird with the host, the show is going to be under a bit of an experimentation. The way we format the podcast is still going to be the same, but it's not going to be just me or just uh, our, our just Will or just Tabs. Um, I hear talk about an episode being recorded without me um, at some point with another guest, which that's really cool. So... We'll, we'll try to, at some point, get together all three of us again, but for now, it's just sort of like a th- three-separate-person show just kind of doing whatever, whatever they want, so... So while thinking about, like, a guest episode, I ended up asking uh, Luke for some movies that they wanted to talk about, and you had a few in mind, but I think we both just kind of decided uh, The Exorcist Three from 1990... Yes, the the William Peter Blatty directed Exorcist Three, which is very fitting considering, well, it, it, depending on when this comes out, it might not be as recent. But when we're recording it, it is the weekend of the re- release of The Exorcist Believer, the the oh legacy boy. sequel. <laughs> Ooh boy, from the director of Pineapple Express. <laughs> the director of Pi like. Not only the director of Pineapple Express, but the 2000 independent film George Washington, which are, like, the complete different ends of the spectrum. David Gordon Green has probably the most interesting filmography I've ever seen. Yeah. Because George Washington I watched recently fucking bangs. Um, Mm -hmm. Manglehorn is also pretty good. Uh, The 2018 Halloween, also quite good. Everything mm-hmm. else, oh, <laughs> it is it is it is a cacophony of nonsense yeah. at times, and that other times is like I mean, I yeah I guess this is a movie that's all right, but then yeah, but then it's 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 like it 
I can't completely say like David Gordon Green is like a hack or anything like that because there is some quality to his work. Like there is some substance, but yeah. Then then you have like fucking I think he, there's like a couple of like comedies that he did that like in specific are like literally this is like two degrees removed from like a happy madison film <laughs> does so does it, not surprise me so interesting interesting lad i have n- no idea outside of the fact that he directed three halloween films why they gave him the reins to an exorcist film but you know what are you yeah. gonna do about that but enough about an exorcist movie that is pretty bad from what i hear we're going to talk about a great exorcist movie yes in fact probably my my personal favorite of all the exorcist films because um i i quite enjoy the first one because it's like it's 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 you know it's a classic it's got like the it's the setup for a lot of like pretty influential horror elements uh directed by uh william friedkin who passed away pretty recently um and is interesting to note uh that the film itself is kind of like it, it was it had the scariest movie ever made sort of uh kind of hype around it for like the longest time and then when it re-released like in the early 2000s there was like a lot of like wait really okay all right <laughs> which yeah. i could see why but also th- that's to, to, to call The Exorcist the scariest movie ever made is kind of like sort of missing the forest for the trees a bit. Mm-hmm. Because, like, yeah, sure, it's not scary, but it's atmosphere, it's tone, it's those those elements that make it work rather than just, like, the amount of scary stuff that happens. Yeah, I would definitely say when I watched The Exorcist for the first time, I've been wanting to rewatch it, um, honestly, because I don't know if I I I don't know I, I heavily doubt I will feel the same way but I truly did not mm-hmm. got to give that movie the credit that it deserved be, purely because it was built up as like the scariest thing I've ever seen or like people mm-hmm. have ever seen and then I ended up watching it and it just felt like kind of nothing but yeah especially after watching Exodus 3 watching it twice now and hearing how i'd say pretty similar similar in one the two the two are in terms of like treating its characters i guess i hear i definitely yeah. feel like i should give the original a shot again yeah. but exorcist 3 phenomenal movie just gonna say roughly phenomenal up. movie phenomenal movie and also not really even worth mentioning exorcist 2 because it is like a fucking fever dream experience that is like barely connected in the first place because like by all accounts exorcist 3 is like the actual exorcist 2 not just because of like it's Mm -hmm. closer connection and tone but also the fact that the original book that it was based on legion uh was already basically like a sequel to uh the first exorcist book yeah, um, and I was just on vacation recently, and I actually went to a used bookstore, and I found a copy of Legion, and I haven't read it yet, but I picked it up for like a couple bucks, and I'm and I'm probably gonna read it at some point. But, but yeah, I was yeah. like, oh shit. 
same here because like I was able to uh, find it uh, on the internet archive and I was like I should actually Ooh. read this when I have the time because I would probably love it because I actually read the first book and the first book is very very good but so I should read mm -hmm. more of that stuff but yeah it, it is notable it is notable to, to to point out the fact that the film is directed by actually the author of the book who also mm. wrote the screenplay for uh the first exorcist which you know is there's a lot of like instances of writers becoming directors but like by most accounts and my point of reference is like aaron sorkin is that when they do become directors they're kind of but it is not very good yeah well uh william peter blatty he only did two direct directorial things i by my understanding he did the ninth configuration yeah. in 1980 which i haven't seen but i but i hear but i hear is all right is it is it is interesting. The best way I can describe it is that it is a film that is very deeply confused about how mental illness works, but is still a empathetic story at its heart. Gotcha. That's the best way I can put it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, ten years later, did The Exorcist 3 casually dropping one of the uh, greatest uh, like horror movies of all time... Uh, after yeah. adapting from his own source material, and then just dipped, and then just yeah, didn't just, just, write, didn't write, direct anything else, and come with movies as the last. You know, just like fucking hell, dude. Look, look, for real, for real. If I directed The Exorcist three, I'd probably dip too because I didn't need to prove shit honestly, to anyone else by that point. Honestly, like, like straight up, and the fact that looking this up recently recently or just yesterday besides on places like letterboxd where like i i, I want to say at least i don't want to make Letterbox seem better than it than it is but like you actually have people <laughs> there who seemingly like understand mo understand movies and care about care about movies in some sense because it on every <clears throat> other site it really does not have the respect that it deserves i think i'm nah. it's just barely out of a six and it's both critically rotten and audience rotten on rotten tomatoes which yeah well i was good i was gonna say it's like the there's a night and day difference from going on letterbox to going on imdb because like on letterbox exactly. it's like nuanced and interesting discussions even through all joke reviews aside is like there's at least something of value trying to be gained from discussion and then you go on to imdb and then it's like wow i just stepped on a pile of shit yeah so, literally so you know so you know yeah. there is that and also i mean you know rotten tomatoes is rotten tomatoes so like it's kind um, of, of course, hard yeah. to judge that especially like taking into account like that it's like more or less from like reviews that came out around the time it probably actually was released so like yeah hard to tell more so like a historical document of like its initial reception probably than anything else but that audience reception though being rotten is kind of funny yeah i i also want to say i don't know about you but i only have access to the theatrical cut and so i don't know if you watched the director's cut or if you just watched the theatrical cut like i did so i have so I haven't fully watched, like, the director's cut by itself, but here's the thing that I can say, is that 
the theatrical cut in which you know we have the ending with the big exorcist sequence kind of at play is probably the best version you'll be able to watch regardless because Mm -hmm. ostensibly the biggest change that the director's cut does is that the ending is what the book ending is which i will give it this it works better for a book ending than a movie uh because ostensibly what it is is uh george c scott walks into uh the cell where where the where the gemini killer is looks at him for like a minute they talk and then he just shoots him point blank and then leaves which like that already happened in the movie but like at least like there was actual build up to that happening rather than just he walks into a room silently just glocks him and then leaves here's the thing that just I do kind of like that because that's sort of like an uh, art of self defense type ending (laughs) (laughs) Which I it also watched is, recently. Yeah. yeah. It, it I, kind of <laughs> is. That is funny to point that out. But, like, I guess it might just be the fact that a lot of it was still, like, not really that deep through post-production in terms of, like, the director's cut. Because it's literally just, like, a entire scene with no music, no added sound effect. It's just the on-set audio of he walks into the room, shoots him, and then leaves. And it just feels so awkward. It's almost like a punchline yeah yeah because like apparently like, a lot of that footage was lost um possibly like uh yeah it seems like which i do understand i just i just didn't know which version you watched because i haven't actually seen uh the director's cut uh because i yeah. have the theatrical but honestly honestly I, I wouldn't really bother it because like it's for one the director's cop cut copy is like much lower quality version of like the actual footage and yeah it is it is like the most anticlimactic unsatisfying thing ever and mm-hmm. also as a result cutting out the original ending uh r- removes possibly like one of my favorite cuts ever put to film which is the shot where he shoots uh fought like uh father Karis in the head and it cuts to the shot of the sunset yeah very good very good cut yeah but like yeah no like i I get why there's people looking for the director's cut because it's like oh the director's intention for the film is fully Mm -hmm. realized and then i watch it as like yeah the director's intention was to kind of blue ball me basically with the ending (laughs) so you know what i think i'm good (laughs) i don't need it Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah it's it's interesting if nothing else yeah so Exorcist three, um, for those who haven't seen it, I do highly we do highly recommend it just off the top of the bat, like go watch this movie. Um, it's it's incredible. Um, it takes place fifteen years after the after the original Exorcist movie, um, and um, and 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 features uh, George C. George C. Scott as as uh as a lieutenant who um who is investigating uh a bunch of uh supernatural random supernatural killings that have been happening that may be linked to uh someone called a serial killer called the gemini killer who was executed uh, around the same time that uh reagan's exorcism happened Mm mm-hmm yeah, and what's notable is that the lieutenant in the film, uh, Lieutenant Kinderman, 
is a character that was originally from the first film who had a relationship with uh, Father Karras, who was, uh, if you if if you don't really particularly remember who Father Karras was in the first film, he's the guy who uh, basically got the possession away from uh, Reagan and then jumped out of the window and went down the world's scariest flight of stairs to ever exist. Uh, outside, outside of uh, seeing the Joker stairs in public, it is the scariest flight of stairs you will ever see. Basically, yeah. It is like, they, they are kind of like on similar level of like, dear God. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, and, uh, Exorcist 3, something that I really like about it is it's both a um, like a demo- like a demonic possession movie and like a supernatural like mystery but then when you have the um, it, but just because it is like a detective movie um, it has that same sort of like I don't want to say bleak energy because this movie is bleak but it's not as bleak as what I would compare to, which is seven. Um, mm-hmm. Just uh, more, more so in the fact that like, just, um, just this really gloomy like murder mis- murder mystery basically, um, and um, maybe not the most apt comparison, but it was like the first one that came to my head because I I adore both movies, but I think some of my favorite parts of the movie are when um lieutenant kinderman is talking to uh the gemini killer who is possessing father karis's body and i don't and mainly due to brad dorff's terrifying performance oh he's he's like the best performance in the movie it is incredible i love brad dorff as an actor so much and this might be my favorite work from him obviously like chucky and everything else that he's done is great he's great in rob zombies halloween also i think like i think Mm. that if it wasn't if he wasn't the gemini killer in this i think his performance in rob zombies halloween 2 would be my favorite from his but just his his energy in this is so terrifying because he is so calm and then can just snap in an instant, and you never know when he's going to snap. Because the first time you see him, he is shouting and screaming, and then he just is instantly just, like, just so calm, and it's so, like, intimidating. It's just, like, like when is he when is he going to snap? Like, it's fucking terrifying. Yeah, he is, he is always, uh, this is all, like, trying, like, any dialogue sequence with him... It feels like it's on a razor's edge because it is can can go either way. He can go from being like this sort of like gleeful psychopath to just like vehement anger and having to like emphasize the point of like you know Father Karis will suffer forever and there's nothing you're gonna do about it. And it's and it's and every time he kind of slowly comes back to himself and is calmer, it's almost like maybe maybe he is just like playing this up just to just keep uh father uh, or i mean uh, lieutenant kinderman kind of like on edge and it's just great because like i think about like the bits where like you know he's he's doing kind of like the sort of stereotypical like evil serial killer sort of stuff where he's like talking about like how he killed victims or whatever but then he at, at, at one point it literally just like smash cuts to him and he's like i like plays shakespeare's yeah. my favorite 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, I'm just like, so cool, awesome. dude. That's, that, that's cool. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> whatever you say. You know, it's like, eh, cool. Uh, please, please stop. <laughs> please, I, I, I've had enough. But, like, it's, it's, I, I, I really do like his performance because the thing is, is, like, one thing that I don't think has aged especially well about the first Exorcist is that is 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 ostensibly like you know it's trying to communicate the idea of like innocence like corrupted by evil ostensibly and its way of doing it is like you know it's it, it it's understandable it's like oh like this this kind of average everyday like young girl is being like taken over by like an evil demonic force but its way of doing it is like she swears and her face is ugly now oh no Uh-oh. and I'm just like oh okay yeah so whatever but yeah, here uh, what she she vomits pea soup anyone can do that god yeah dude I listen I can do that without even having to try <laughs> but, but but like that's the thing that makes like this 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 character especially terrifying is like conceptually so like in in the first exorcist like Reagan like is kind of just some girl you know like it's it's sort of like you are made to care because of you know the fact that you understand uh, like Ellen Burstyn and and her connection to her daughter and that sort of thing. But like the thing that's interesting here is that like Father Cares is like a character in the series is seen as sort of like a saint that really sacrificed himself to like stop the this, this possession or whatever. And like the existence of like the Gemini killer like possessing his body is kind of a more m- more terrifying as a thought, which is like even even in death like people who have done good can be just like their their ideals can be just reshaped and corrupted just by the simplest of like possessive evil and like i think the way that uh brad Dorf's performance is utilized kind of gets that across uh yeah in, in such like an interesting way because like in, in 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 the film technically speaking george c scott uh you know, like, in, in the film, it's showing uh, Brad Dorif because, like, he's the Gemini killer necessarily. But, like, technically speaking, George C. Scott is just talking to Father Karras, the the face of someone who was, like, a genuinely good friend. And there's just some kind of, like, threatening and kind of just horrifying dissonance in seeing Brad Dorif's face talking about, like, how he's going to rip the innocent again and again when, like, in the back of our heads we know but that's Father Karras that's actually saying yeah. that right now, like, technically speaking. And it's like, I don't know, and, and, and even just in the presentation, because, like, in The First Exorcist, there's, like, the vocal distortion, and it's, like, you know, just made to sound like evil old lady, whereas in this film, there are, like, brief, shining moments where you can kind of tell that it's just Brad Dorf's normal voice, but then it just slowly and progressively gets more fucking, like distorted like like the bits where he like laughs and then puts on stone cold face and he says something along the lines of like it's the little things that get us through life isn't it and and it's just so weird it's just so fucking bizarre and 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 unnerving and i love it yeah it's it's really good it's like it's like very like subtle at the start for like the voice modulations and it's like it it's sort of like a when you like notice it like it's just like that's a then you kind of, then it just kind of goes yeah and it's like oh shoot it's not just like 
immediately off the bat, which I do quite like a lot. Um, yeah, and then it's it's it's, uh, it's it's the slow implementation that that makes it more effective. Yeah, and George G. Scott in this movie also commanding the screen, like he mm. really He's damn so good. I don't think I've seen much else from him beyond this and he was in Doctor Strange Love, but like he's really mm-hmm. fucking good in this. Yeah, I was going to say watching this is like he was in a movie called um Hardcore that was directed by Paul Schrader and yeah. I was thinking a lot about that performance in a lot of ways because like one I kind of feel like this film has a lot of like the more modern kind of Paul Schrader nihilism to it in a weird way, but more mm-hmm. so than that just the way that George C. Scott performance is throughout this film where he's just like constantly like just defeated and just like fed up with like everything in the world and then there's like brief moments where like he kind of flips out and is like angry but like they're never really like traditional like in terms of like oh yeah like angry guy performance because like i think of the scene where like everyone's like arguing and yelling and he and he just yells like shut your mouth but then just begins to start like breaking down crying for like just like a brief moment and it's like it's 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 always like it never feels like traditional like angry cop guy who is like always on on it because he knows he's better than everyone else he's just like i have no idea what's going on anymore i'm i'm like just kind of an old man in the world that like does not seem like normal to me anymore ostensibly yeah and as a character, he's probably, like, the most fascinating to me out of, like, any of the characters within The Exorcist, just by the fact of, like, he he's ostensibly, like, you know, in, in Exorcist, a lot of, like, the storyline is kind of, like, good versus evil, because, like, Father Karras is, like, a good, honest priest who fights against, you know, the possession of, of Reagan, but, like, George C. Scott is not a saint. He's just, like, I... I'm going to try to find any way in which I can to, like, stop this from happening, but I also am, like, my view of the world is ostensibly that it is kind of already over and we're just still kind of living in it, ostensibly. Yeah. I think something that thing about this that really, like, struck... It, it struck me both, like, the first and second time is that, like, it's less about, de- like, demonic possession in a way but more just about how truly fucked the world can be sometimes and honestly that's so much scarier than like any anything related to demons because that's real like mm-hmm. that's yeah real things in the world yeah i was going to say it's like the the in terms of a lot of the possession stuff and possession stories like it's not especially scary when you're trying to get to, like, the nitty-gritty of, like, the possession stuff, because, like, for one, a lot of it, like, real talk is kind of just based in, like, a lot of, like, Catholic sort of stories of, like, oh, you know, the this person was considered evil because they did uh, fucking adultery or some bullshit like that, and therefore they yeah. were, like, possessed or something like that. So, like, it's based in a lot of, like, archaic-ass, like, ideas which... To be honest, the the first film kind of started those ideas up again, and uh, William Friedkin did a documentary about it. That's like one of the worst things ever. Would not recommend <laughs> it. But like, 
is 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 there literally there is a 20 minute sequence of like an actual exorcism happening and it's basically nothing happens besides a woman yelling that they obviously like did uh vocal vfx on mm-hmm. and i'm just like wow cool Howie. what a movie Yippee. but we thanks william I don't. I, I kind of don't think. I, I don't think it's entirely his fault because I kind of feel like he's just doing it as a bit. If I'm being honest. Yeah, that that. I remember you like saying that. Just feels like a fucking bit. It really does. He feels like he he doesn't he doesn't eyebrow raise for like every single like time he's talking to the camera, and I'm just and I I just can't not think in the back of my mind of like fucking. He, he's doing the the clearly you don't have an air fryer face. He's got the 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 Creole uh, air fryer. It's just this entire just like, I think you should leave type sketch. <laughs> Basically, yeah. But yeah, I would not recommend watching it. I just I just remember watching this and being like, man, I just remember there being like a a bunch of documentaries that were on TV about like supposed exorcisms that happened, and part of me is just like. Gee, I wonder if this was all stuff that happened after The Exorcist came out and people realized that was a thing that actually happened. Yeah. Even though it didn't. <laughs> yeah. One one thing that I I also, like, quite like... It's not as explored by... by As much as I would like it to be by... By design of the movie, but the relationship between uh, Father Dyer and uh, Lieutenant Kinderman... I really mm, like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Which sadly, like, I'm not explore enough because, because uh, R.I.P. Father Dyer, but um, I think one of my favorite yeah. bits is just, like, it's at the beginning of the movie where it's, like, where we're, we're both introduced to them and um, Father Dyer is just like, yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go see It's a Wonderful Life at the movies. I want to cheer up Lieutenant Kinderman. And Lieutenant Kinderman is just like, yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going out. It's my day to cheer up Father Dyer. So it's like both yeah. of them are like under the presumption that like that like we're cheering up the other person. And I do. I really like that. That's the detail. Like every single time I watch that, it just it like sticks out to me. And I just, I just, I, I, I really, I quite like it. True old sad bastard friendship. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah. It's it's interesting too because like I'd say like that aspect is kind of like the heart of the film, which mm-hmm. by all accounts gets torn out within the first thirty minutes of the film. But that being said, it is interesting because like their dialogue is kind of quippy and funny, but not in a way that feels like it's like actively trying to make the audience laugh or anything like that because like you yeah. kn- you know what i mean by like but the, the fish funny dialogue, dialogue. <laughs> the, the, the fish yeah, dialogue the, especially yeah the, the 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 fucking monologue about that which is honestly kind of a great monologue because it's very funny in one way but also it kind of feels like a, a, an important thematic element of the story too where he's yeah yeah like, like ostensibly lieutenant kinderman sees the world as a fish swimming up and down in his bathtub that he might kill at any moment yeah and part of me like i don't know if this if if it is but i can't tell if uh uh father dyer's actor uh, ed flanders i can't tell 
if when he laughs in the middle of it, if that's him actually breaking character, or if that's his character actually like kind of chuckling. Yeah, it. It because it kind of really like is. Genuine. It's such a, it's such a deep like, like either way you read it, it feels very genuine because it's such a deep mm-hmm. serious. Mo- it's like, like it it reads very deep and serious when you read it. But at but at but like when you just kind of like look at it like surf though it's really just George C Scott just like being just like there's a fish in my bathtub I've been taking a bath <laughs> in two days you're really close to me right now you can smell it. it's just you can it's smell like, it. <laughs> like like you're standing real close to me I've been taking a bath in three days <laughs> it's just it it really is like funny but then you like think about it and just like it really does like the feels like there's some like thematic thing too which I I do really like there's 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 a lot for me to unpack in that scene, and it's it's really it, it I like it a lot. Just the entire yeah. like first like thirty minutes with them, just like talking about things is honestly like I think some of my favorite parts about the movie. Yeah, cause like I mean, and by all accounts, it's like simple dialogue stuff. But for one, it's like shot and staged in such a way where like it is still like engaging. But also just like the actual dialogue itself is great because they're talking about like very normal things like. They 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 they're at the restaurant and they're talking about like uh uh, uh the Father Dyer's like you wouldn't want to live forever and 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 George C Scott's trying to like desperately to kind of like uh uh give evidence as to why he would he would be cool with it because like I've got hobbies and that sort of thing and then at some point yeah. he kind of does eventually break and be like yeah maybe not but like I, I I love the fact that it's like this very conversational like dialogue that doesn't feel like it's trying to be too like buddy pal kind of type discussion it's like it just it just feels like two 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 working friends that have kind of like kept together after like going off on a different job or something like that that's kind of like yeah. how they feel mhm it's it's really nice um like there's a lot of really good dialogue and a lot of great ways that like people talk to each other in this movie like this whole movie is very heavily bent on dialogue which i really like um and the movie is quite scary in more of a like understated way just like a lot of the times the i think the stuff that's like scary is coming from like the dialogue and the performances there's not much within the actual movie itself that is scary except for one scene (laughs) yeah and if you've seen it you know what we mean by that one scene yeah oh Uh. my gosh and honestly it's so scary to me still i wish i didn't know about that scene when i first watched because that was the only thing i knew about accessory was 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 that scene and yeah. to when I got to it, it was just like, oh, fuck, it's that scene. It still scared the shit out of me, but I honestly wish I didn't know that that scene existed beforehand. And I I, I wonder yeah. if there is anyone, like, possibly if someone went to watch this movie for the first time or, like, they went to listen to, or they went to watch, like, either from the podcast or just in general and didn't know about that scene, I genuinely am curious because yeah. it is just this... It it feels like it's one single long take but it's not um there's actually cuts in it but um it's it's a nurse like wrapping up her like her like shift at the night and like or like like working the night shift and and it's just this far away shot of the hallway to where you can just see the entire like like office there and like some rooms and she's just kind of walk 
walking around, and then she goes into a patient's room um, because she hears something, um, and she actually wakes up the patient, and it's like a loud big thing, like, ah! And that alone, it's just like, like, it's just a slow, silent build until that, that, and it's just, it's like a weird little, like, almost relief thing. It's just like, oh, well, that's done, okay. And then just kind of continues, but it's still just that one static shot. And yeah, they she, keep on it. Yeah, just stays on it. And I think something that I noticed that I loved, loved about the scene, is there is a cop that comes in when she goes into that final room and sits there. Then there's another cop who walks in and, like, tells the other person that they need to go, and then he leaves. And then after they leave, she shuts the door and then walks out, and that's that's what happens when it's no one else in there like i like like me remembering that like the cop was in that room the whole time no he like leaves yeah make a note that he leaves but anyways she um she leaves this room and shuts the door and like she tries a bit to shut it a couple of times and then and then she leaves immediate crashes in the door opens there is someone with giant garden shears right behind her and then it cuts to a previously established decapitated jesus statue yeah it is it is like such a shocking moment uh in in a way that's like the the exorcist is kind of known for shocking material but like this is shocking in a way where it's like you genuinely genuinely did not expect it to happen when it does and i think it's due to a couple of things which is like one the fact that it does take as much time as it needs to to just like kind of let you kind of let your guard down ostensibly for it to like really land the impact and also the mix of the crash zoom and the fucking horrific sound effect yeah. that follows which God. I should also touch on the sound design in this film because I think mm-hmm. that's probably one of my favorite aspects of it not all of it though because I have to say I I made a running joke for myself watching this at one point is like how many times are they going to play that same fucking like dragon sound effect throughout the entire film yeah. that just it it you know what it fucking sounds like to me it mm-hmm. sounds like that one fucking clip of Jerma playing a a ghost hunters game where he just goes up to the mic and goes I die. here's the thing I like my, I'm very. I don't want to say I'm well established as German. I don't know if I'm familiar with that particular. With that particular. There's clip. there's there's a fucking there's a there's a bit in a in a German episode where like he's playing like basically like a ghost hunters game with a bunch of people where like one half of the the people are like playing ghosts, the other half are like ghost hunters, and he was just like fucking with everyone by just going up to his mic and going like. <laughs> And, and everyone's like, what's what's coming up? What the what the fuck is that sound? And Jeremy's like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and every time every every time the fucking that, that sound effect played in the movie, I was just thinking, God damn it, they got German the, the fucking sound effects. German the booth. Germ doing sound effects for the Exorcist three, what will he make? It's Germa is the f- Frank Welker of um of fucking um of Foley. <laughs> he just they just bring him in for every movie to do Foley work. Uh Germa is the Tom Kenny of demonic sound effects. <laughs> uh, but like if I discount that aspect, which yeah, it is overused, 
there are so many like instances of really great sound design because like we talked about like um the the uh the, the 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 voice modulation like occasionally like going in and out but one bit that i really like a lot is the scene when they find father dyer had been killed and all of his blood had been ostensibly like uh moved into several different containers uh it starts to rain outside and as they're talking about like the 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 arduous process of the blood being removed from his body you can hear like really clear and present sounds of rain dripping from the windowsill and it's like the most fucking uncomfortable sound effect to accompany yeah. that discussion. It, it it really feels like it's like you're listening to like an audio an audiobook and they're like like oh here's like a sound effect to describe what's like to like visualize what's happening. But it's but yeah. it's purely diegetic within the movie and it's just like Yeah. <laughs> because like when I was watching it, when I was watching it in the moment, I I I just realized, wait, it didn't rain until they started talking, because you could hear like thunder and then like the rain slowly yeah. starting up, and I was like, no, nah, they 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 knew what they were doing with that. God, yeah. But it is it is it is it's like little details like that that really like add to just the genuine tension and atmosphere for the film because like the thing is like. With the first Exorcist film, there was a lot of atmosphere and that sort of thing. But the thing is, I feel like a lot of it was spent on two things. Either, like, realism to to kind of make you believe that this was, like, a real thing that happened, kind of almost. Or mm -hmm. stylization that kind of feels a bit over the top. Because, like, the, the, the Reagan's room is, like, completely, like, underlit. And, like, you know, it's, it's like, literally, like, everyone's... Uh, breath can be seen because of how cold it is whereas like yeah. in this film there's still aspects of that but like it's more stylized to a way that it's more effective because like for instance the room where uh, uh, Father Karras is kept uh, they have like the two massive beams of light kind of shining on both characters but you can still kind of see like the cold breath but it's not like it's not so like completely obvious as it is in like the first uh exorcist film yeah 100 percent um yeah another thing that i wanted to bring up is um just something that on the back of the uh dvd box which is gonna seem weird but like the dvd copy that i have boasts after the plot is look out for patrick ewing samuel jackson and larry king and I'm just, and here's the thing, um, where the fuck are they? Um, I know it where Samuel Jackson and Larry King are. I don't even know who that other person was. Yeah, Patrick Ewing, he's uh, like a basketball star. But I just think it's so funny, they're just like, oh. look out for cameos of these three, and it's like, <laughs> one, when I'm watching The Exorcist 3, that's not what I'm looking out for, and two... I'm so focused on everything else. Where the fuck are they? <laughs> okay, so, like, here's... The, uh, so, one instance is literally, like, for one shot. So, like, I don't kind of blame you for missing it. But uh, sa but for Samuel Jackson, uh, he is in the movie, but he was dubbed over by someone else. Which I don't know why. <laughs> but he was. He was... Um, so, do you remember the... 
that weird dream sequence kind of mm-hmm. near the middle of the film with all the angels and like the fuzzy uh yeah there's one dude who has like as as someone who has like uh like dark sunglasses on and says something like I don't even remember but it was something related to time and it was like is it time in New York or something like that. Mm-hmm. That was Samuel Jackson. Interesting. Uh, and Larry King was during the conversation at the restaurant with Father uh Dyer and Kinderman. Uh, it's literally just like it's 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 like a cutaway shot uh, to set up the restaurant, and Larry King is just there for some reason. Oh, so it's like in Looney Tunes back in action, where where they uh, where they where they pick where they're in the restaurant, they pair they pair over to to Matthew Lillard and Scooby and Shaggy. It's like that. <laughs> Basically, it is it is ostensibly <laughs> like that. And it's just like so weird when I knew about it beforehand and rewatched it because it's like, why is Larry King in The Exorcist three? <laughs> yeah, like Samuel Samuel Jackson. Okay, sure, I'll I I can accept that. But like, why Larry King of all people? Yeah. Now Patrick e- Patrick Ewing is apparently credited as the Angel of Death, so I assume he's also in that dream sequence. I believe so. I think yeah. I think he was in that sequence probably at some point. There was one angel in that that like looked distinctly familiar and I'm gonna and I feel like I know who it is, but I'm gonna look it up. Mm-hmm. Uh there's yeah, there's like one angel who looks like weirdly pretty. That's the best way I can describe it, is like mm-hmm. he's he's just kind of this guy, but he has like very long hair. And has like a very in, like kind of yeah. like, cool guy stare. And I think that might be him. Possibly. But yeah, I but know exactly I... what you're like talking about. Yeah, that definitely stuck out wait, to me. Wait, hold up. Actually, no, that was not. Uh, who's who's the 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 sports guy you were talking a about? Patrick Ewing. Okay, so the angel that I was thinking of was not Patrick Ewing, but that angel was played by Fabio. What the fuck? Yeah. I I was like, I distinctly remember Fabio being in this movie, and I wanted to make sure I, I remember that right, and I looked it up and was like, yeah, Fabio, Fabio was in The Exorcist 3 s- as one of I the see. angels. I see. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I see, yet I wish I didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm, Yeah. <laughs> Oh my yeah. god, there's a toy of him. <laughs> oh, wait, no, Actresses that's a joke. Three, I act- thought that was... Oh. I, oh, man, I wish that was real. That's lame. I would buy that. Like, Fabio himself, or Fabio's character from Exorcist 3? Uh, Fabio's character from Exorcist 3, but it's labeled as the Angel Fabio. Damn, because when you said that, I was my brain was instantly just like, bro, Exorcist three merch. <laughs> get the, get your get your like fucking like <laughs> like play. It's like those fucking like ad like the play sets were just like, kid, it was like yes. use uh, Lieutenant Kinderman to take down <laughs> the, the demonic yeah. killer. You, use Lieutenant Kinderman to take down the demonic possessions of Satan himself. And you have the kids going like, whoa, and being like. You're under. Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever, like, just uh, saying shit that's not even in the movie whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And collect Brad Dorif with voice command. And you press a button. He says, We are Legion. 
Look like also um you click on um you click on uh the tank and read just goes I believe in slime and filth. <laughs> oh, I, I I really I really want to talk about the the I believe in death monologue because that yes. might be like that's like in a weird way it's like kind of the thesis of this film not exactly the monologue itself but like what it represents within the story because like Mm -hmm. so something that i found really interesting uh with this film was the fact that like we do have like basically like a stereotypical exorcist that does actually come in to try to like get uh the 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 spirit out of uh father karis uh and that goes extremely badly dude gets like his skin ripped off it's gross as hell it's nasty it's so yucky uh, i love it it is it is insanely gross and uh at some point uh lieutenant kinderman comes to uh essentially try to finish the job off because like he's at this point where he's like nah this shit's th- there's there's no way to like end this ostensibly and the thing i find interesting about like the i believe in death monologue is that like as I kind of talked about before, like, the ex- the first Exorcist sort of, like, has a very clear, like, good versus evil narrative going on with, like, uh, the the priests versus the, the evil spirit uh, containing Reagan, and that there is, like, a noble sacrifice by the end of it all. And I think there is something kind of more nihilistic about the way that this film decides to end its exorcism, because, like, by the end of it, like... It's not really that, um, that that like they actually get the spirit out of Father Karras because like, by all accounts, Father Karras is dead. So like, what what good yeah. would that be anyways to to like, to like bring him back or anything like that? And is is kind of a, it to be it feels like the thesis of this film is that like, g- evil cannot be just defeated by good necessarily as long as there is still, like, a place for it to fester. And essentially, Lieutenant Kinderman's, like, final choice to just, like, kill Father Karras is kind of like, you almost have to have someone who is, like, so deeply detached from the world to try to, like, ostensibly expunge evil from it. Because it's, like, it's, like, kind of like that one scene from, like, no country for for old men where it's like yeah uh, fucking tommy tommy lee jones is like looking out in the distance and talking about like i don't want to go out there and find something i don't understand and the thing is mm-hmm. the the thing is that lieutenant kinderman does understand and that's where the the i believe in death monologue comes from like he completely understands like the evil of 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 like this 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 demonic possession thing because it goes beyond just being like i am evil because it is ostensibly like the like slow festering kind of like evils of like modern society with big question with like big quotation marks because I don't want to be fucking having a joker moment here uh <laughs> but like <laughs> but like you see that with like you know the 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 opening sequ- like in in the opening of the film like it's it's talked about like the the murder of a young african-american boy and all of the awful stuff that was done in that and father can or lieutenant kinderman kind of talks about it with like a complete dejection and just utter like defeat in his voice about it yeah and then there's like a 
a lot of other things in the film in terms of like like m- like in terms of like medicine and that sort of thing that are kind of like big major themes because you have like the one doctor who's like you know running an entire hospital but like it's kind of obvious the dude is just like a bit off the chain and lieutenant kinderman can kind of see that and so like kinderman is thesis like idea of the only way to get rid of evil is to just like destroy it by any means necessary even if it is like at his own humanity because like you know father cares this like a, a genuine friend to him is like even more so than like father dyer was in this film like in the original exorcist they had like a very close relationship and now he's like i have to ostensibly destroy someone who is like once my good friend because they 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 are obviously now being inhabited by like this evil like creature and that's where the i believe in death monologue comes in which is honestly one of my favorite monologues probably in film it's a it's really so good. fucking good monologue and it's so simple too there's it's it's not like it's not particularly eloquent he's just like at a point it almost feels like kind of like sarcastic and joking about it because I always I, I like I like the bit where he like he's like I believe in I I believe in murder and infidelity like there's something like almost joking about him adding that one extra thing cause like it kinda partially seems like it's mocking kind of like catholic faith ideas of like evil yeah it's really really fucking great it is it is it is super good and it also is is capsized with the fucking just like like acidic way he yells you son of a bitch yeah fucking dude has had enough and and he's just like letting it all all loose yeah um i'm gonna wrap this up real quick with one thing that also makes this movie great because we got because because this movie existed um we got another piece of greatness um Mm. apparently john carpenter was originally attached to direct this and he left the project for creative differences and that's how we got prince of darkness hell yeah which so so yeah that's great it's like the one time in like movie history where like we we were able to get like two good things out of a creative differences like debacle it was not like yeah we got a bad movie and then a good movie or two bad movies now we we got two good movies we got we got two incredible movies um yeah i just i god i'm by I I by the time this episode goes out, I'm I'm pretty sure it's, it's going to be shown. But I am showing some friends Prince of Darkness later this month, and they don't know that I'm showing Prince of Darkness, and I'm very yeah. excited. I'm doing that along with, uh, funnily enough, I'm doing that along with uh, with a uh, double feature of that and the Blob remake. Ooh, nice! And I'm just calling it. I just calling it the Slime and Goop uh, double feature. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in slime. I believe goop. Goop. <laughs> uh, George C. Scott believes in Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, business. <laughs> I believe in Gwyneth Paltrow and the American economy. You son of a bitch! Bitch! 
fucking whenever whenever I'm whenever I I, I, I I watch a movie that has slime in it, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna yell, I believe in slime <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> me when I go to me when I go to Nickelodeon. <laughs> George C. Scott when he accepts his kid's choice award. I believe in slime. <laughs> you heard him, folks. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> man. I can't wait for someone to turn that into the world's worst AI-generated image. <laughs> <laughs> no. God. Fucking hell. Well, man. What? Actually, you want to know what? What? Whenever I think about AI-generated image, my mind automatically does the I believe in death monologue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only good thing that AI will ever do is die out. Yeah. <laughs> the only good thing that AI-generated images will do is become obsolete whenever we have lost control of technology. Yippee! Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me, Luke. It was a pleasure to have you on on the show. Thank you for having me. No problem. I'm glad you allowed me. I'm glad you allowed me to ramble about this this great movie. Yeah, no, I I I, I love I love that. Like I love hearing you talk about movies. I have said this numerous times. I don't know if I have actually said this to you, but you are one of the people who I trust most when it comes to movie opinions. And so, like, anytime you, like, because, like, more consistently, you have, we've, we've had very similar views on certain things. So when, when, when you say that something's better, when you say something's good or think that I would like something, I tend to trust it heavily. Um, and pretty much, pretty much every single time I've been like, yeah, I trust that, I trust that, um, I, I end up going, I end up going the same way. Um, I think one of the That's one of the biggest ones nice. that I that I that are like yeah like like yeah this is it was when everyone everywhere was being like Avatar Way of Water is the fucking banner of all time and must not be missed and then you came out and they're like yeah, yeah it's like kind it's fine and I went yeah. in with everyone else being like oh it's the banner and like and like you being like it's fine it's like well I'll see for myself I end up just being like yeah it's fine. Yeah, I am the prophet. I know what you, is what is just. <laughs> you are the prophet, and then yeah, like every single other suggestion that you suggested to me, I will definitely check that out. The ones that I haven't seen, I think the one that what was was the one that we were like talking was like was like not Wild Boy was it called Wild Boys or was that oh uh Wild Zero Wild Zero yeah I'm definitely gonna check that out because uh, that was one that we were thinking about. Very good yeah. fun. I, I quite enjoy it. It's like it is it is a meandering uh zombie movie about uh cool rock bands and a guy who's ostensibly has a uh guitar player who is essentially his Jiminy Cricket who gives him random advice at numerous points in the film. It's amazing. Lovely. Amazing movie. That's incredible. Yeah, thank you so much again. Um, do you? And yeah, go check out um, Mecca and Monster Mondays. Um, every Monday, it's been happening. There's been some really great episodes so far. Um, yeah, and yeah, you I, might and you may may uh, depending on when this comes out, 
it, d depending on timing, this is gonna either be like, yeah, no shit, or wow, I didn't know that, but there might yeah. be someone who is in this uh, podcast right now that might be in an episode. You, you never know. Yeah. It's me, know. Ray Romano. I'm gonna be on uh, Mecca Monster Mondays. <laughs> Yeah, I got Ray Romano. It was it was like it was it was a big uh, uh, financial investment, but I was able to get Ray Romano. We everyone was asking for it, you know. Ray Romano knows everything about <laughs> mech and kaiju movies. <laughs> this is true. I I talked to him about it. He was he was like, oh yeah, I know mech and mech and kaiju. That that's that's that that's the girl who was in the who was in the Transformers movie. Did you know that uh, uh, Manny the Mammoth is a kaiju? <laughs> Wow, Real. wow, wow, Ray. I didn't know that. That's so insightful. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you so much, Ray are you, Ramon. <laughs> are you are you are, are you in anything uh lately? No. <laughs> wow. Wow. Awesome. Ray Romano, everyone. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, we yeah. love you, Ray. Everyone loves Raymond. <laughs> yeah, you can follow uh uh, whores for horror at whore the number four horror on Twitter. Um, you and then you can also uh, you you have anything you want to promote besides uh, like either like where you can listen to podcasts where they also can find you on. Well, self? Um, you can find me. Uh, uh, you can find uh, Mecha Monster Mondays also on Twitter under the at uh, Gamera Mondays. But you can also find just me and uh my video editing work and uh other miscellaneous dumb bullshit under my at which is verner underscore bertzog uh if you would like to see both my film work and also uh dumb idiotic shenanigans of sorts yeah look luke's done a lot of uh great stuff when it comes when it comes to editing um and and yeah, like I, I highly recommend to go f to go follow them if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you once again for being on the show, and thank you once again to everyone for listening. Um, don't know what's happening next, but something will happen, and I'll see you see you next see you next time on the show. Bye, everyone. <laughs>